welcome back to the Earthdawn Survival Guide, the podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, and game masters. With your questers, Josh and Dan, I'm Dan. I'm Josh. And on today's podcast, we will be discussing all things uh, creepy, crawly, and uh, horrifical all again, because we're in part five of our dive into the horrors in Earthdawn. So if yes. you have any questions for us, or any ways you want to use horrors or that you've used horrors before, we'd love to hear about them, by the way. We, we like stories like this. Please contact us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to hit you kind of alphabetically, but we're going to skip back and forth between books a little bit. So if you're following along in the car, uh, drive the car, put the books down, yeah. get to this when you're going to get home. So first up is the, and I'm never quite sure to pronounce this, B-A-G-G-I. Is that baggy? That's how I've always pronounced it. I don't know that there's ever been any kind of official guidance on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. That works for me. These are found in the northern forests, kind of like around or between the Bloodwood and Par length. But they are basically obese, hairless gorillas that don't have a skeleton inside, but they do have vicious claws, oily black skin, and their special power, among many others, is that really they can swallow a name giver whole. So, yeah. you know, go with that. Josh, thoughts? <laughs> They were introduced in the original first edition horrors source book. They are another example of sort of one of the the so-called minor horrors, a little bit more powerful and nasty than Nashers. Uh, they seem yeah. to have a little bit more cunning about them, but they travel typically like in small groups, three to six or eight individuals. Yeah, one's bad enough. Yeah. They aren't particularly intelligent or desire some of the, the more advanced torments that, that some of the more powerful and named horrors avail themselves of. They are more, much more of a sort of physical opponent. Or blunt object. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that we'll start talking about here as we're getting into horrors is looking at their harvest energy power. This mm. is the way that the horror regains karma and also indicates like the type of methods that they use when it comes to dealing with their prey. The Nashers, which we talked about on the previous horrors episode, all regain karma basically by feeding on living flesh. They mm -hmm. gain more karma back when they do that. In fact, I think with them, they can only do that on living yeah. flesh because they're fairly simple. The baggy, they can regain one karma per success on the test. If the harvested emotion is frustration or helplessness, then they get an additional point of karma. And in that case, they get karma even if the test is actually a failure. Wow. The way that they do this is that because of their physical nature, the way that they are in terms of being this kind of big fleshy bag of nastiness. Yeah. Is they swallow a particular target, preferably one that has companions, but they'll like swallow that individual target and like run away with them. Mm -hmm. And because of their physical prowess, it is often very difficult for anything to be done against them. The description in the GM's guide has an encounter that is typical of that, where some baggy attacked some elves, 
swallowed one of them and like ran off. They treed them and like they set fire to the tree and the baggie was just like, yeah, burn me up. I don't care. That basically were sort of feeding off of the helplessness that their companions felt at not being able to save their friend. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're arboreal. You are likely to run into them in the forests and jungles, especially around in northern Barsave. But obviously you could run into them potentially in the Servos jungle um, yeah. or any other sort of forested area. But yeah, they're kind of physical and nasty. And the other rough thing about them uh, in addition to their ability to devour opponents, is they have this other nasty ability called Karma Void, <laughs> that whenever an opponent spends karma against the baggie, they need to spend an additional karma point. You need to spend twice as many karma in order to get the same effect as you otherwise would. That second Oof. point of karma d- that you spend does not do anything. It doesn't give you an extra dice. Yeah, it doesn't give you extra yeah. dice Uh, It's just an additional expenditure. Yeah. So that's an additional reason why they are tougher to fight. They've got a really high awareness. They've got fury, which is the same kind of power that cadaver men have in that if they do get wounded, they actually get tougher. They have great leap so they can like leap and pounce and devour. Uh, They've got the pounce special maneuver. Yeah. So, yeah, they are just they are nasty. (laughs) Kind of like a physical opponent, but just a rough one to go up against. Yeah. And like I said, one's bad enough, but they travel in packs. Yeah. So three or four of these at the same time. Oh, that's just a bad day. They're a journeyman tier challenge. So a journeyman group of characters could conceivably take on three or four of them. But a single one would absolutely be a very difficult challenge for, for lower circle groups. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And no, thank you. But that's just me. But then again, I'm sometimes the Game Master. So on to the one we're going to talk to today out of the Companion, out of the two, is the Blood Shaper. This is an ancient, toothless, humped-back name-giver of any kind whose astral form can be up to a mile away, which looks like, maybe, we kind of think we know, uh, a spider-like machine with countless arms and uh, very sharp things at the end. The Blood Shaper has a very special way of infecting... They're victims, though. They make blood charms. Yeah, talk which talk is, more about this. I didn't review this one beforehand. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, this is... Blood Shapers really don't like a whole lot of physical combat, but they're very capable of it if you back these guys into a corner, of course. But this has what mechanical arms that end what look like surgical tools covered in dried blood sprout from their back. So they have that whole name-giver form, but then they have these things that come out of their back around to the front like a spider leg does as well but you really can't kill it if you don't kill its astral form yeah which again could be anywhere within a mile so as you're trying to astrally sense them it may not work you may just come up with a void because their astral forms are ways away yeah the true horror itself is is purely astral they can create a physical body that they operate through but that body is really just more of a construct and destroying yeah. that doesn't really affect the horror in any significant way. They've got a whole bunch of powers. Like they're right up in the companion is oh man. Almost 3 pages just in terms <laughs> of their powers. But basically they provide these blood charms and the only way that they can mark their target is with the the special blood charms that they create. 
Yeah. Once they're implemented in the, in the victim, the recipient, then they can mark them. And so right. they probably have this deal where they make the physical form, which looks old and arthritic and spindly and so forth and so on, as part of the person who's selling the blood charms. Yeah, okay. And so if you've got somebody in your party who's like wanting more blood charms, this is kind of how you hook them is use one of the blood shapers. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is your in. Once they have successfully marked a target through their charms, which they can eventually do. Yeah. That you might be able to resist for a little bit, but they can make a horror mark test against you once per day, regardless of distance, once you have bonded into the yeah the thing. And these blood charms could otherwise operate as normal, regular blood charms. Like it could be a desperate spell charm or something like that. Yeah. It is sort of like a cursed item in a sense that by accepting it, you let the horror in and mm -hmm. once that has happened then the horror can work on you if you use the blood charm it has the potential of giving you corruption points and as we kind of discussed way back in the first horror episode that we talked about oh yeah as you accumulate corruption points the more of them that you get once you reach that whatever sort of threshold that has been decided in your game for how serious they are you are lost in a sense the horror can inflict damage at a distance through the use of a power that they have if they've marked the victim that causes mystic damage and if it causes a wound like the skin ruptures. And basically what they do is they gradually twist and break their victim's body and feed off of the gradual feeling of alienation and isolation and self-loathing that comes about as a result of the damage that is dealt to them by the horror. Yeah. And the list of, of maneuvers this thing can do. I mean, yeah. Blood boil, I think is new, uh, bloodied vision, flesh, oh, yeah. wind, hemorrhaging blood. Uh, just all these things. I'm like, Oh, these are nasty, which is why they're marked as a ninth. Or, sorry. I'm sorry. 10th circle opposition. Cause they're nothing to be trifled with. They've got horror powers. They've, they, in addition to like this blood damage, they can do skin shift, the nasty horror skin shift power that does yeah. a lot of damage. They've got a couple of ranks of, of resist pain. They've got disrupt magic. This is a campaign level opponent. Yes. You have a group that maybe starts noticing or having to deal with the constructs or the warped and broken and corrupted individuals that are kind of are in the wake of this thing and may eventually need to track it down. And because it is astral in nature, mm -hmm. that makes it that much more difficult an opponent. You may be able to sort of temporarily delay it by destroying its physical construct. Mm -hmm. it, it just needs to take some time to make a new one and maybe move on to a new location. And so this is absolutely a horror that's going to be like a long-term opponent. Yeah, it's one of those, if you have a team large enough, you want to have the physical combatants handle the physical form and send the spellcasters off over the astral form and fight it at the same time. <laughs> maybe, maybe. It's not truly a dual-natured horror. Fair. You don't need to defeat the physical construct in order to kill the horror. But no. you need to be able to affect astral targets in some way, whether that is by 
the use of talents like Spirit Strike or the other one that allows you to target astral things that you're aware of. All of the melee disciplines get them. And one allows you to target mystic defense instead of physical Mm -hmm. defense. The other one goes against mystic armor instead of physical armor. And I don't remember which is which, but we talked about them a lot in the high circle discipline (laughs) coverages. (laughs) Go back to those episodes because our memories are bad. Or potential other things that you could do is, is if you've got summoners in the group like maybe get a like a nethermancer or something a spirit mm-hmm. that could open a spirit portal to allow you to cross over into the astral and fight it there there you go potentially develop some kind of ritual magic to pull the horror from astral space into the physical to be able to fight it there i mean there's a lot of high end campaign level stuff that you can do it's not a named horror but it is absolutely a high-end, like, sort of campaign-level opponent. Oh, no. That you really want to build, like, story arcs and that kind of thing around. Yeah, multiple chapters of your your campaign. Potentially. I mean, you could could perhaps do it as a a shorter arc within a campaign at a higher circle. Yeah. But these are nasty enough that it's really, like a lot of the the more insidious horrors, you kind of want to minimize the amount of treating them as disposable monster of the week kind of things. Like you want to give it the respect that it deserves. Yeah. This, this needs a long story behind it. This one really does the baggie. Not so much, but the blood. Yeah. Yeah. Needs a longer drawn out story for a better denouement, better conclusion when you get there. So that's just me onto the deceiver. These these have been around for a while. They specialize in illusion. They're roughly four feet tall, humanoid ish, Great bumpy skin resembling brain matter, and they have open sores or open places on their skull. Yeah, (laughs) that is supposedly supposedly somebody has has said, oh, that's what they actually look like. But the thing is, it is very, very difficult to see that because deceivers actually can make themselves look like anything. Yeah. Whether it's actually illusion or actual shape changing is not 100% clear, but they've got a lot of illusionist abilities and illusion-related powers. And even when they are killed, they will use this to their dying breath. They do one final shift where they appear as a dead child version of the individual that killed them. Yeah. One final brain (laughs) screw to mess with them. Because you can. They've got empathic and telepathic powers and they use that to impersonate people and to replace people in a community and to use that to sow uncertainty and fear and paranoia and discord. There's a a mini adventure in one of the Earth Dawn journals called Dying Words that specifically uses deceivers. And I ran that adventure for my party and I almost had a total party kill. (laughs) Because then everybody ended up killing each other almost, or the deceivers looked like everybody else. One person survived, killed the deceiver, both of them, uh, and then was able to resuscitate his party uh, with some last chance salves and so forth, uh, which I didn't know that they had. But however, everybody remembers that adventure very specifically. <laughs> yeah. Because they're still walking around going, you killed me once, remember that? So, As if their mere ability to impersonate individuals incredibly well were not enough. They also have Cursed Luck, which allows the horror to mess with the die results, basically, on somebody's test. Yep. 
They have damage shift. Oh. A wonderfully awful power. They can take damage that they have suffered and transfer it to somebody else. They have spell abilities. There are a whole bunch of spells that are listed as as possible things that they know. Yeah. Some of them will have additional powers like animate dead or astral camouflage, making it more difficult to like see through their their abilities, kind of like power mask. Corrupt yeah, karma. Like two dozen spells, man. Jeez. Yeah, there's like a whole bunch of potential spells that they can have. Other things that they will do is they will often like create illusions and situations that will typically have reckless adepts charging into dangerous situation. Like they will create an illusion of a child trapped in a bog and an adept that goes charging in to say, or being threatened by a creature or something like that. And an adept that will go charging in will find themselves in a trap themselves and subjected as a victim to the deceiver's lies. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Since I've used them once before, very fun to use as the game master. Not so fun if you're the player, but that's the point. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, And, spoilers basically is what i have to say is that they have shown up i like (laughs) them too and they have shown up in other places (laughs) Uh, a lot in par length i guess but no one of them is bad enough but they they travel in you know groups of three four or five so you are hopefully not traveling alone because you will be massively outclassed they're not physically that tough no but they're a mind screw But they're a mind screw. They can be very difficult to because of their illusion powers and whatnot. They can be very difficult to close in with and to actually get your physical attacks against them. Mystically, they are they are a little bit tougher, you know, when it comes to spell abilities and and the various other stuff that they can do. And the fact that they can do cursed luck makes it tougher to hit them in the first place, because that's an ability that they could bring to bear to make it harder for a warrior charging in to actually successfully hit them and stuff like that. Yeah. So very, very good to use. Maybe not campaign level like the blood shaper, but they are a nice little wrinkle to throw in every once in a while. Just yeah. I mean, their toes. a group of them that is causing problems in a community is perhaps a good journeyman tier story arc to deal yeah. with or a problem for a group to deal with in some situation. Yeah, they tend to prefer smaller, more isolated communities because it's easier for them to sow that distrust in a community where people are a lot more likely to know each other. A group of deceivers could perhaps infiltrate a neighborhood of a larger city or whatever, but they're probably not going to be super involved. If you're talking about big cities or like the Kingdom of Thrall or Trevar or something like that, they are probably not going to be getting involved in terms of replacing the leadership of those communities or something like that. It's possible, but that's something that that I would I don't think they're particularly well suited for that kind of situation. I think there are other horrors better that might be better. Yeah, yeah. They have their place. Don't get me wrong. They have their place and it's a fun place to be. Uh, On to the despair thought. One of Josh's personal favorites, I know. Yeah, these are kind of iconic. (laughs) The despair thought is the horror that was tormenting Jerol during his childhood and in, in the Longing Ring novel. Yeah. It appeared in there. Their physical form is this big white 
maggoty thing that has yeah. like a whole bunch of baby arms coming off of it and it scribbles around. But what it can do. No, no, that's that's the misery worm, which is it scuttles, it scuttles around on multiple so, yeah. stubby arms. Like that's the description that it says, like yeah. little stubby fair baby arms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's what it really fast. does is it will find a place to kind of like hole up and hide its physical form. And then it can astrally project itself. And its astral form takes on this vague shadow or ghostly figure. And what it frequently will do is seek out families that have young children, particularly where parents are fearful or anxious or whatever isn't able to actually do anything, but will threaten and manipulate the parents ultimately into willingly allowing it to possess the child. Yeah. Basically, the parents need to do like this little ritual in order to allow it to happen. But once that's happened, then the despair thought lodges itself inside the brain of its victim and... If the victim tries to speak at any point after that, the horror takes control of their tongue and makes them speak gibberish, speak gibberish, kind of like arcane mutterings, but causing pain to people. Yeah. And then gradually works on the victim and the isolation and self-loathing and whatever that come about as a result of that and kind of feeds on that despair and that hopelessness that builds over the course of time, the horror eventually prodding the victim to eventually commit suicide, to kill themselves out of the 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 despair and isolation and hopelessness that have grown as a result of their yeah. situation. There is really kind of like a, an almost sort of an external cause for what would otherwise appear to be like severe depression, like high-end clinical depression. Mm -hmm. They're not physically particularly tough, but... You got to find them. Yeah, yeah, you got to find they them. They astral project. They tend to try and hide their bodies as well as they can. And they are kind of bound to their chosen victim until the victim commits suicide and releases them. They can only mark a single victim at a time, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. So they're they're up there in in level as an opposition rating. Like I said, it was part of the first novel, which is why uh it's it's a near and dear to our hearts because it's been around that long. Yeah. Is it was the first introduction, so it it is in one way like iconic and representative of the way that the more intelligent and canny horrors can work on things. This one gets into your brain and causes you to doubt yourself and hate yourself because of the pain that you cause to your family and friends and whatnot if you actually do try and speak and just generally like kind of works on you to drive you to despair. Yeah. Classic, classic horror. And it goes way back to first edition. And like I said, the first novel. So this is kind of like a good capstone opponent for it high novice tier campaign because part of the difficulty is figuring out where it is and tracking it down. And like you could have some adventures where you're following its path of destruction. Yeah. 
to track it down before you track it down to its lair and have the fight there where the physical fight isn't that difficult. It can have powers that, you know, make it difficult, like corrupt karma, corrupt reality, mm. things like that. It's otherwise not physically particularly difficult. And so it operates in a way that means that it doesn't get into physical conflicts with yeah. adepts. If it, in <laughs> fact, is getting found out, it is likely to potentially try and get its chosen victim to kill themselves so that it is sort of freed and able to relocate or whatever. Grab a new, grab a new victim. Time to feed again. On to something that was actually recently thrown at me in my game, the Doppler, which I'm pretty sure is a shortened version of the Doppelganger, because that's the nice German Sort term, of. If I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, this appears as a name giver, but it has a stinger somewhere in its body, like forearm, hip, something like that. This is personally- These are body me, snatchers. These are body snatchers. I have a better one, though, than body snatchers. I saw a movie recently called The Broken, starring Lena Headey, and fairly recent, all about the same thing. They are, they're doppelgangers that come in and do all kinds of evil things. It's a freaky movie, just got to say that. Uh, but this is one I think you can build a mystery adventure around. We had This is a side adventure. It took us five or six hours to get through this one. We finally figured it out and you know uh, was able to get to the Doppler. But this is, yeah, whenever a Doppler kills a name giver, it uses the stinger to draw blood from the corpse. The stinger then detaches from the body and gets buried or hidden. This is what we found. This was our clue um, in a secluded spot. Over the next few weeks, the stinger grows into a duplicate of the slain character, including the talents and abilities the victim possessed. So, hence the doppelganger. This infiltrates the community and gradually takes over. So yes, this is the epitome of body snatcher to Josh's point. Yeah. So hence the name Doppler. It was a neat little side adventure that we took on this one. Like I said, we did finally figure it out, but nice if you want just a, a one shot, a different off the beaten path. That's one thing that you can do. You can make yeah. it a little bit more severe by actually having a group of Dopplers that is oh, yeah. infiltrating and taking over a community because those who are not affected feel unease paranoid <laughs> and paranoia and stuff like that one of the things that you find with some of these horrors especially some of the earlier ones that that are developed is that they have things that mirror mental illnesses or other mm -hmm. like psychiatric or neurological problems there is an actual yes. documented neurological issue where you are convinced that a loved one has been replaced with an exact duplicate. That's what's going on. I mean, again, like body snatchers, like that whole yeah. situation, but that's what's going on. Like the, the people who have not been swapped in will have that feeling like they'll be aware on some level that something is wrong, but not have any way of proving it because the duplicate will have all of the memories and abilities and everything that the other had. That can make it difficult in some respects because you know, if they are duplicating an adept, they will have the talents and spells and abilities. And while they may not be able to take advantage of, say, magic items or whatever, they can still wear and wield those things as a way of furthering the illusion in terms of how they've replaced them. Yeah. And that is Capgris syndrome. I went and looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> While I was talking, great. <laughs> While you were talking, yeah, Capgras syndrome, you believe that your loved ones have been placed with imposters. So, one of those things. But 
Anyway, if you want to see the movie The Broken, Lena Headey, like 2017, 2018, somewhere in there. Creepy film. Give you a good idea. And I was going to say, is, is it streaming somewhere? Probably. I was able to tape it off of like cable or something like that. So it's out there. You can find is it. Is it called The Broken? The Broken. 2008, actually. Oh, wow. I'm okay. Eh, I said 2018. I was close. <laughs> it had an eight in it. It is available for rent on uh, YouTube, Google Play, Apple TV, Amazon Prime. It is free a couple of other places as well. So, yeah, uh, cool. I may put that on my watch list. It's an hour and a half. Yeah, please do. Just so I have something to talk to, talk about it with. Anyway, yeah, Dopplers are fun, gonna say. They are, they're, they're good to make it a little adventure out of, without a doubt. On to the Dread Iota. Oh, these this are This one's kind of cool, because the Dread Iota is a different kind of horror. They are microscopic. Usually yes. ingested through contaminated food or water. Somebody somewhere in one of the cities in Barsave said that they invented something that lets them put lenses together to finally look at things that are very, very small. And so they think they looked at some dread iota under a microscope, air quotes. They have scaly skin with large heads and they are grinning malevolently. But the dread iota are just fun because, yeah, you really don't you, most you don't see most horrors coming at you. You really don't see this one. Yeah. This one kind of plays on the old idea of illness being caused by evil spirits. I mean, in a sense, that's kind of like what yeah. this is, reflecting the uh, the ideas of like disease and corruption and whatnot. And so you ingest them in contaminated water, but also you can find them in food and, and other beverages and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Once a sort of critical mass of them has developed... They will mark you and basically feed off of you and you'll waste away. And once you have uh, sufficiently been done away with, uh, the Dread Iotas can animate your corpse as a ghoul and have you kind of move <laughs> on and, and maybe spread them to other places. There was a first circle spell, Purify Water. Do you think that would, if it was, with, with enough success, wasn't there? I think it was the case that Purify Water would work against them because there was really not a whole lot else yeah to do that um one of the other things that they have is the karma boost power which allows them to give their karma to their marked victim whoever they're mm -hmm. they're inhabiting yeah, and yeah, use yeah. that to get them to do things and whatnot they can like sort of manifest spell abilities they can be very difficult in some ways to <laughs> deal with. I'll be honest, unlike some of the others, I, I've not ever really figured out. This is one of those that would likely be just a single adventure or a short yeah. adventure story. Yeah, little sidetrack. Little sidetrack where you maybe come across a place that has been uh, infested and is being affected by these things and you need to figure out the source of where they came from and kind of go and deal with them like that. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you come across a ruined village where all the inhabitants have now been animated as ghouls as the Dread Iota have affected them. Or maybe you start off with a, a village or whatever that is having incursions by ghouls and you track them back. There's a few things that you can do, but this is, these are not a major arc campaign story 
type no. opponent. This is something that is a sidetrack or, or whatever. I mean, it could cause problems if they somehow get into a larger community, like say in Barter Town or some kind of place like that, where there is not necessarily quite as as strong a thing. Yeah. Where they basically are sort of riding inside their host. It can be a little bit more difficult to detect and deal with them than it is some other types of horror. Totally. I just think it was a neat idea to have something microscopic. Finally, I was like, oh, that's cool. A little, little different for Earth Dawn in there. A couple of few to go. We've got the Crease Scrow, which I think Josh has talked about a little bit beforehand. This is a three foot tall parody of a human, but it's all twisty and lumpy and not great looking. But they are here to inspire nightmares leading to insomnia, which, of course, is that whole, I can't say mental illness, but that whole, you don't quite feel yourself if you don't get enough sleep. And if yeah. you do that long enough, you know, Stephen King wrote a novel about that. I like these guys. These are a low circle horror in terms of like their challenge, but they are sneaky and they will shadow a group for a while and use their powers on individuals and cause the nightmares and the nightmares will prevent people from regaining their recovery tests, which of course causes problems. And then they'll feed off of that. And then they've got abilities that make it easier for them to sneak around like stealthy stride and astral camouflage. Um, and then they've got cursed luck, which is a, a great, like all around useful <laughs> horror power to make it just oh, yeah. more difficult to deal with them. So yeah, probably not a major campaign opponent as you're going to be dealing with these lower circle. These are even like a novice tier challenge, yeah. but they can certainly cause a lot of problems for a, for a community or as a group. If you've got like an overland journey that the group is making somewhere, they might pick up a tail of a crease or two that will yeah. cause them issues on the road and potentially make things more difficult for them. I can see a crease just living in the attic of some tavern or inn, just occasionally giving people insomnia here and there as much as possible. Over the course of their torment on a victim for each full week that they continue, that they are sort of not found out and de and destroyed, the victim's toughness gets lower. And eventually, yeah. if the toughness drops to zero, they die. So they are mm -hmm. actually capable of killing people as a result of the insomnia and uh, and torment that they are providing on yeah. them. Those are going to wear you down. So Kreisker is kind of classic. Have they been there since first edition or are they relatively yeah. new? They were in first edition, <laughs> the original <laughs> sure. core book. The The picture of them in there is a, um, pretty sure it's a Larry McDougal piece that is just this weird little <laughs> goblin looking thingy with like one big misshapen arm and the head kind of half twisted and yeah. stuff like that. That rings a bell now. I got to look that picture up again when we're done. Three to go. Mind slugs. These are the, yeah. Whew, man. Uh, if this is not in your nightmares, I'm not sure what's wrong with you. But these are the six inch long, like black millipedes that attack you while you're sleeping. It's very simple horror. Oh yeah. But you know, if you ever saw these guys are minor horrors and they're kind of mindless, but basically what they do is they burrow into your skull and eat your brain. Yeah. I mean, mind slug tells it right there. I mean, if you saw this, if you saw the Star Trek movie where they actually, you know, have this little insect thing Star Trek crawl two. into your yeah. ear. Star Trek 2. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's the one. Mm -hmm. So something along those lines. These don't even control you. They no. just burrow into your brain and kill you. 
they're pretty simple that way, which is, you know, a straightforward victim, a straightforward enemy is nice to have every once in a while. But the, the art on page 495 in the Game Master's book, by the way, well done. That's not creepy at all. <laughs> but yeah, these guys are simple. They are, again, like similar to the Kree score. These are like a novice challenge. Yeah. The difficulty that they have is that they are mindless. That's part of it. So they're immune to fear and stuff like that. They've yep. got ambush and uh, gain surprise abilities. So if you don't detect them, it is very easy for them to sort of gain an advantage and possibly burrow in. They've got corrupt karma and cursed luck, which makes things tough. And then if they have latched on and are burrowing in, it really hurts to pull them loose and you need to succeed at a dexterity chest. Yeah, the painful extraction is just... There's like a a, and a, a, a willpower challenge that needs to be overcome and... The difficulty numbers for those go up the longer the worm is able to burrow in because it's tougher to get a hold of them and all of that. Yeah. So (laughs) these are something that you encounter in the course of another adventure. Yeah. These serve a similar role to like constructs in some regards that you are not going to see these as a major challenge or capstone, but these are in an area where you would be potentially dealing with them as an additional hazard in a dangerous or corrupted area. Yeah, because these like to attack you while you rest. Yeah. They really want to burrow into your brain while you're sleeping. Get at them tasty brain meats. <laughs> well put. Back over to the companion for the last one from there for a while. The misery worm, also known as a greater despair thought. Maybe, who knows? They can't quite tell them apart. They've not done the classifications on that just yet. This is the larger worm that has the childlike arms that crawls around like a millipede. It's white with like Rorschach ink blot patterns on its outside, but it does have an armored head and kind of a meat grinder mouth. They live underground, thankfully. But what misery worms like to do is get a hold of the children to turn the children into wretched imps because my misery worms are tended to by wretched imps, which we covered on a previous episode. Yes. So there's that big circle of wretched imp to misery worm to misery worm to wretched imp back and forth there. So take it away, Josh. Unlike the despair thought, which focuses on tormenting and eventually causing the victim to kill themselves, the misery worm has a different end goal and a different way of operating. Yeah. But in some ways, they are kind of like more powerful despair thoughts. They target parents with young children, and they manipulate the parents into ultimately un- un- kind of unaware harming the child. Mm-hmm. They've got, um, you know, astral projection. They are more of a physical challenge than a despair thought is, but they kind of operate in a similar way. They've just got more powers and, and higher step numbers and stuff like yeah. that. A whole lot, a whole lot of tools. <laughs> And rather than driving the victim mad, they have them waste away or wither away mm. and have it go that way. Because they are larger, they do, uh, unlike uh, the despair thought, they do have the ability to swallow targets whole and cause That's additional crazy. damage if, the, if you are in a situation where there's physical combat going on. Yeah. And they typically like have a bunch of spells that they know as well. So they can be a little bit more of a difficult problem to deal with. Oh, totally. That's that's a higher campaign level bad guy. Yeah, to use. 
That's not a one-off. You need to plan for the, for the misery worm to be in there. Because again, they like to create the wretched imps and then have them around. So I think if you introduce a wretched imp somewhere in the first part of the campaign, then a misery worm should be along a little bit later on. That's Maybe. just me. I would do that because I like foreshadowing. One of those things. Last for this episode today, because I can't say running long, but we're doing pretty well on time, is the Scurrier. These are fun. I think they were first introduced in the Parlength box set. Yes. Am I right? Yay. The Parlength box set. Uh, these are mostly found in Parlength. That's where they are primarily located. Yeah. But they can also be found in other ruined or abandoned cares. These guys are another, like, not particularly tough physical opponent, but they are a nuisance because what they like to do is reset traps that have been sprung and repair traps using their sort of magical abilities. And they sort of gain their sustenance by the pain and discomfort that adepts or anyone really suffers, but mostly adepts because, you know, ruined cares and stuff like that. Yeah. When they get hurt by the trap. That's really it. Again, Cursed Luck, a stock (laughs) horror power that allows them to kind of mess with your dice die rolls, um, which can make them a little bit more difficult to deal with than their numbers would perhaps otherwise indicate. But yeah, that's basically it. They can make and repair traps. And so... You can never be sure, especially in Parlength, whether an area that you thought was safe remains so because scurriers can sneak back, set in. traps where there wasn't one before or fix a trap that had previously gone off. Yep. I like these guys. Uh, the Jeff Lobenstein art of them in the Parlength box set is wonderful. The sort of mark of them is yes. that part of their skull is missing and showing sort of Mm -hmm. like exposed brain beneath it. Um, And they're all kind of like small and patched, patched, chubby and and... patchy fur and looking like really kind of wizened, warped, deformed stuff. Yeah. Almost like primates, but not quite. A nuisance, not going to be a major opponent, but they are going to cause you problems if you are doing any kind of care delving or exploring in par length or anything like that, because there would be traps that you might not expect coming to hurt you. Yeah, these 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 will put obstacles in your way if you don't have obstacles. So um, obstacles. So I think that there's a nice little dirty dozen we got to today. Uh, the Blood Shaper, I think, is the campaign level as well as a couple of others in there as well. So I think these are fun to use in many different ways because we covered the gamut on how they can arrive and and what what level they can be involved in your campaign or your adventures. A lot of these are ones that you are mostly going to see as maybe single adventure or small story arc opponents, maybe the, or if you're going to have a game that's going to be dealing a lot with horrors and whatnot, that these are going to be the horrors that characters are likely to encounter during their early career. Mm -hmm. If you've got like a horror stalker or somebody like that in the group, a lot of these horrors are like going to be really good bread and butter stuff that they are going to be dealing with on a 
semi-regular basis. Yeah. Folks, if you have any questions for us about anything you've heard tonight, or if you've used one of these or fought some of these and how you defeated them, again, we would love to hear your tales about uh, how you encountered these or how you use these against your players. So by all means, if you've not seen The Broken, go watch The Broken for your legend. Good night, everybody. 